you have to separate your path from your voice, mm. right? You have to separate the steps you take to get to the next job and shaping the kind of person you want to be at work. And that's where the focus on picking your boss came from. If you couldn't find somebody who felt like you and looked like you and, and saw the world the way you did, then maybe that wasn't a good fit. Jobs are always about fit more than they're about anything else. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to bitfanning.com slash insight. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there to Lead the Team. Welcome back to the show. Let's dive in with Bell Frank, who is the Chief Strategy Officer for VML YNR Global Health Practice. If you're not familiar with VML YNR, it's a global brand and customer experience agency with over 12,000 employees globally, and it's part of the public company WPP that you may have heard of. She now drives strategy across healthcare clients with a focus on the Pfizer COVID-19 campaign, which you probably heard of. And Bell's known in the industry as an expert strategist committed to understanding people's real needs. Now, a little bit of insight on her background, which we're going to dive into. She was born and raised in the spectacular Queens, New York, and Bell joined YNR back in the 70s and has had many different journeys as the firm has morphed and now merged, making her a 40-year veteran of a four-year-old company uh, which is now VML YNR, of course. And she has mentored to many, to many, and we're going to dive into that. And the last piece of this that we're going to make sure we touch on the Daisy is she's actually an executive with a book. She's author of the Advertising On Route Tips on How to Get Your First Advertising Job. Bell, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. Ooh, we're going to have a good one. Let's dive in. So people listen, they're probably like, whoa. 40 years in one company. Now, I want to say to the listeners, they understand the context in the advertising world that like you may say 40 years, the company is, is very unique, but in the advertising business where turnover can be high, a lot of, a lot of changes and mergers and all this other stuff you have survived and thrived. What is the secret? Well, thanks so much for asking. I, when I hear it, I think, oh my God, who stays 40 years in a company? So not even, not even just now, but even then people, good people left and went on and built their careers. So I have a couple different answers. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start with how do you stay 40 years in the same company? First of all, no company's the same 40 years later. Business mm -hmm. isn't the same. Mm -hmm leadership isn't the same. And so sometimes what would happen is I would think about leaving, new leadership would come in and they'd say, oh, try this. It's going to be interesting. And somehow it always seemed interesting. So it, it, I wouldn't say I stayed. I would say I journeyed through a lot of changes. It just one day I woke up and there it was 40 years later. I do think there are a couple things you can do, though, in order to just be valuable as companies mm -hmm. more. And so for me, I had a few rules. One was 
do things nobody else wants to do. So if you do something nobody else wants to do and you can find that interesting, then you'll be the only person who knows how to do it. So mm-hmm. <laughs> all of a sudden, a new person comes in and says, oh, we do that. Now we need you to do who Well, who knows how to do that? And you're the only one who knows. So that's one thing. The second thing, and I'm sure other people on your series have said that, is pick your boss, right? Yeah. I remember where people used to say, um, well, it's interesting in the finance industry. They said that in the 80s. I never thought it was interesting in the finance industry personally. However, mm-hmm. I did think that I would work for a person. If mm-hmm. somebody I really connected to thought that I could make a contribution there, then I was all about that. And that happened both internally and externally. It's how I got into healthcare. Somebody oh. who I had liked and respected said, we need to set this up, Belle. I said, I don't know how to do that. And they said, okay, well, we don't know how to do it, but we'll learn it. And so that's kind of the rule of that. Yeah. I mean, I like that perspective. And I think people discount that a little bit. So there are a lot of people talking about, oh, this is a great job. I'm going to go do this. I work for this company. But the idea of, well, who are you working for? Well, I don't really know who I'm working for. Just a great opportunity. Great. Well, who you're working for is a big component of this. And it sounds like you've you want one of your secrets to being you know long successful tenure there is 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 making sure that you're bringing the boss quotient into your decision. I, I yeah, I used to say to people that well, we'll come back to that. The third one is about the long view, right, and taking okay. the long view. But it relates to my sort of three rules. How do you know when it's time to leave? And I always said, look, I had three prongs to that. One is, am I learning and growing? Two is, am I being fairly compensated? And three is, do I have the kind of autonomy and and or experience that I need at this point in my life? And so I 100% believe in the boss picking because in order to get to that autonomy or experience, it's got to be the right person. You know, it took me a long time, but you could be a good person in a sort of frivolous position, I guess, or a frivolous mm-hmm. industry. And then mm-hmm. you could be a crummy person in a helping industry. And it doesn't seem to matter about that. It matters that you and the people you're working with are the good guys. And I never want to work for bad guys. I never have. So, well, and if I have, I've kind of extricated fairly quickly. So, so what's your advice for people, people who are like, you know what, I've never, I'm not really taking that into account on in my decision. Uh, I don't really know the upper levels in a company. Uh, ah. and, and, and so how do you know, like, like what's your recommendation for, for people to get to know those bosses? So, so I would argue yeah. that it's way easier for young people today to get there than it ever was for us. First of all, there's social media. You can learn uh, anything about anybody. Second of all, and, and we're all public figures now. I mean, I'm always shocked at the people that seem to know a lot about me or if I publish something, someone Thousands of people read it. I think, wow, I didn't think I was a media company, but look at that. So I I do think you can find it out. Also, it's totally appropriate to ask to meet members of the team when you're interviewing. I can't believe how many people don't do that, right? But industry people, and the more senior Mm -hmm. you get, the more stuff is known about people. I've had people come in to interview with me who say, I've talked to a lot of people and they say, it's great to work with you. And I'm like, oh, really? Like, who who says that? (laughs) You know, sometimes I don't even know the people that Uh say that. So I do think you can, you can learn a lot. Maybe it's because I work in the consumer insight space 
that mm-hmm. I really believe that you should figure out the people, but I really do. Yeah, I, I love that. So that's a really great takeaway for the listeners, this idea of boss picking versus job picking. And don't mm-hmm. do one in a silo. Probably combine the two. And you also said something there before that that I wanted to make sure just a sort of uh, a highlight. This idea of continuing to add value. Uh, that, that was your first thing that I think you said. And it's it's so easy to people like, yeah, 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 we get it, add value. But things are changing so quickly in the world. Uh, staying on top of things on how you add value. Understanding um, I, I guess from my standpoint, in a world where things are changing so quickly, what do, what do listeners need to be keeping in mind? Like if they're sitting there today, like, well, I'm, I'm adding value, but I don't know if I'm adding enough value to really keep my career going here. So sometimes I've been asked, what do you wish you knew then that you know now? And I usually yeah. give some flip answer, like, I wish I had known there'd be so much photography. Because I might have like paid more attention to, you know, I don't know, cosmetic uh, procedures. But I do think, <laughs> but I do think that um, you have to watch where the business is going. The thing people never want to hear is, uh, you know, we tried that 50 times and it doesn't work. I, I know how I learned that. I had adults and teenage and adult children, and none of them want to hear that. And so nobody wants to hear, we tried this already, it doesn't work. What people want to hear is things like, if you're going to try this, you might want to watch out for X, Y, Z. And and I'm not trying to sugarcoat it, trust me. I used to say to people, I don't know why they're lining up to work with me. I'm pretty red pen. If I think something's wrong, I'm going to tell them. But I also am open to somebody convincing me that, or not even convincing, but just presenting an argument in a way that I hadn't thought of before. I love that. Somebody mm-hmm. once told me that I say, I get that. And so, which probably I do say it, <laughs> but um, what I meant was like, it wasn't where I was, but if the mm-hmm. logic and the argument holds water, then I'm I'm good with that. It, it doesn't matter if it's my way. I've also learned to believe that I hate indecision. So my tragic flaw is probably that I'll make a fast decision before I'll, I'll, you know, deliberate. And I don't like second guessing. I really don't. But on the other hand, I do believe in strategy. And I believe Mm -hmm, you have mm -hmm. to be able to present a logic that gets you to why something's a good idea. You know, we all have to leap. I know, I know business doesn't like risk. So so I got to ask you uh, that quote about watch where the business is going. And thinking about that with COVID-19 campaign. Uh, that that happened pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, I will say that this most recent assignment, working with teams, uh, I worked with the Department of Health and Human Services and now with Pfizer on some COVID work, COVID um, vaccine work. And while I, I'm not going to talk about the work itself, I will tell you that the requirements for flexibility 40 years later are like none I have ever experienced. Yeah, you know, you, they, you, they, You've had to adapt with that because it's changing so quickly, right? I mean, the pandemic was a time where it, I mean, it changed quick faster than ever, probably. I've Uh, heard some um, people say there's a quote about tactics trumping strategy. And I I get that, actually. hmm. I, I think it's just about flexibility with strategy. 
you know, if something changes, be prepared to make changes. And most organizations, I don't care how small and nimble they are, have to get come up with ways to change course quickly. And that's, I think, the holy grail for everybody. So that adaptability and flexibility, you know, that makes a lot of sense in terms of adding value. So a lot of good things there with boss picking and this idea of adding value over time by watching where the business is going and getting ahead of that. Um, I I guess I want to make sure we have time for this. I want to talk about your uh, becoming an author because I think most executives (laughs) don't do that. And, (laughs) and, and it's, and you know, I've been through the book process a couple of times myself and it's like a marathon, right? Not a sprint. It, It takes a long time. Uh, but most executives don't do it because they're some of the busiest people on the planet and they have a lot of responsibilities. Uh, what was your process to get this done? And um, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question and I, it was a journey and it went over a period of time. So, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> so in one of the transitional moments of the company, so new leadership came in. And and on the personal front, when my kids graduated, you know, were, were growing up and like I'd gone from being like a, an incredibly busy person to a almost incredibly busy person. I mean, it's not that I had time, but hmm. there was a difference when your kids left the house, right? So maybe timing was a factor. I started... I was trolling and I started to look for an opportunity to teach and I found an opportunity to teach. And I, I worked at CCNY, which is the public university in New York. Um, okay. Building, SUNY, building um, what? City University of New York and oh, city college of okay. the city university of New okay. York. Yep. And they Got were it. building a master's Longest program. Longest name for a university ever. For yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. But my dad went there. I have a soft spot yeah. for the city. Yeah. Great, and also great. City was an amazing public university, you know, on the, mm-hmm. in the 40s and 50s and, you know, for immigrants. And by the way, it remains that. It's just the immigrants have changed, right? <laughs> they used mm-hmm. to be different kind of immigrants than they are today, but they, it's an incredibly diverse place. It's located in Hamilton Heights in New York, right near um, Alexander Hamilton Grange. So it's really, you know, outside part of Harlem. And it's wonderful. And so I was looking for a way, I guess, to give back a little bit. And I worked with them setting up their master's program in branding and integrated communications. And I started slowly. I started by doing professional development workshops where at eight o'clock in the morning, I would meet up with students and help them Hmm. practice interviewing and just talk to them about jobs. And what I found is that the students at City and the and my kids, by the way, and my friends' kids all had the same questions. How do I figure out who I am? How do I figure out what I want to do? But the students at City didn't have any place to go to get the questions answered. And so at the same time that I was answering these questions for people in my immediate circle, Mm -hmm. I was starting to think that I could help by writing it down. What were the questions? What did people need help with? By the way, that's a whole other topic. Uh, The book is a little bit old right now because it actually happened in, I want to say, 2013. And believe it or not, people weren't doing all this resume um, indeed and job searching online and LinkedIn, I don't even think was there. But 
the part of the book that I believe persists is the Mm. idea that you have to separate your path from your voice, Mm. right? You have to separate the steps you take to get to the next job and shaping the kind of person you want to be at work. And that's where the focus on picking your boss came from. If you couldn't find somebody who felt like you and looked like you and and saw the world the way you did, then maybe that wasn't a good fit. Jobs are always about fit more than they're about anything else. And so I wrote it down and I thought, there's a book here. And then I reached out to people in the company that I knew had written books and I got leads for um, publishers that did business books. And I got a very, um, what do you call it, response, a very... um, clear and enlightening response that said, well, if the company's prepared to support your book, the way they're prepared to support way they supported this other person's book, because that's where the lead came from, then I'm sure we can take it on. And I knew that wasn't going to happen. I just that wasn't how it got written. I, I knew what they did with this other person's book. I mean, you know, the CEO wants to write a book the CEO writes a book and the company basically commits to the public. It's not novels. I'm not talking about novels because all the novelists I spoke to, I know how that happens too, but that's a whole different story. So basically the book, and and I want to share some of my journey on this with you too, because it's like a parallel, but, but so you, you thought, Hey, the first thing was, well, let me just recap a couple of things. One is I love the idea and no one, people don't think about this timing. You knew you had, you were going to let your foot off the accelerator a little bit when your kids went to college. Mm -hmm. So maybe you had that identified. I think leader executives, like these two, maybe you're too busy to write a book now. Oh, yeah. But think about the long term perspective, you know, the the long trajectory of your career Mm -hmm. because you're too busy now. Does that mean you can't be formulating ideas for when there's a better timing in the future? The second thing you said um, that I thought was really cool was this was part of what you're already doing. So as an executive, like you're sometimes people want to write like their own version of War and Peace and write fiction totally different than their day to day. But maybe your first book should be something about that you're doing right now. And so I love the fact that, hey, these are the questions you're hearing and you created your concept on the people serving the people you're with answering their questions. And it just seems like a very, a nice flow of terms of ideas. I think executives listening can take a note, you know, from Bell's playbook here of take notes during your day, right? What are your people Uh asking you? What are the problems you're hearing? And just write them down. And then the third thing we're, we're getting to here is support like you can you can sort of launch your book in a vacuum and not get support and get it out there very quickly but a lot of people and what the advice i heard was then you should spend as much time promoting the book oh yeah as you did writing it and i was i didn't hear this until i was actually done writing the book and i was like what I, that was like but I, I want to just clarify how yeah. I got it published because yeah. I knew yeah. that the company wasn't going to do that because I knew the kind of financial investment they made yeah. in the guy who gave it to me. Yep. Yep. But at that moment in time, uh, they had another leadership change and the CEO was very supportive. 
But they also decided they were going to reshuffle and remanage and somebody was going to come in and there was going to be a layering episode, right? A layering of talent. And one of the guys that I'd known for many years came to me and he was frantic. He said, we're getting layered. We can't get layered. It's bad for our careers. And I said, what does layered mean? You know, you're, you're at a certain level and then new CEO comes in and then they put another guy in between you used to be CEO. Now you're getting layered. Got it. The opposite of flat in the organization. You are yeah, making, it's like adding hierarchy and got it. whatever. Okay. I got so it. All right. he said, that's going to look terrible. And I honestly, and maybe this, a, unfortunately was, is my another, you know, maybe I should have, but I didn't get as mad as he did, but he said, we need to ask for something we want if they're going to do it anyway. And I said, okay, well, I want them to support my book. And I had found the stuff I didn't, the stuff I didn't like say, because it's not really that important is I was at a conference and a guy was selling books and he said, do you want to buy a book? And I said, no, I want to publish a book. And he said, well, I'm a publisher. And so I connected with a publisher that publishes books that are much more like the kind of book I wrote. And also you have to understand there was no self, none of this self-publishing thing. I didn't want to self-publish. Self-publishing okay. hadn't come into its own. It. The okay. internet hadn't Good. really come into its own. There was no ebook. Yeah. It was really- so You needed early. a publisher really to, to, to complete your mission. Well, what he did yeah. was he- and, and it was not very, the truth is it wasn't very much money. It was very little money. And I felt, because for five minutes, I considered doing it myself. And then I felt that, no, I was going to, um, uh, I was going to ask them to support it. And yep. by support, I meant allow me to speak about it. You know, again, remember the internet and the whole notion of platform and everything was new. I mean, it's funny because a couple of years into it, um, one of the schools that we associate with took the book on as a project and they came up with this great idea of how I could extend the platform and make it really much more than what it was. But I, I didn't do it because I just it wasn't any more what I wanted to do, I mm-hmm, guess. Mm-hmm. But it is a good idea. They gave me a great idea. I, I owe them a lot. So maybe one day I don't know. But I, but I honestly, what I was able to do because I was unhappy, because this guy said I should be unhappy, um, and I was a little unhappy, but I didn't know quite how to manage it. You know, I mm-hmm. haven't had success saying, I don't want to be layered, or I should have that job. Um, that doesn't always work. So what I said is, okay, I'll do, company wants you to be happy doing the thing they need you to do. And they needed me to do something and they needed me to be continuity and to help these people. I said, okay, but I want to write this book. So I need some money for that. And they gave it to me and they gave me the infrastructure that I needed. And I never even thought to ask before, Ben, the truth is I really was figuring out so many things that sound so pat and lovely. Now I, I, I wish I were more strategic. I followed my heart a lot. That's the truth. One of the things I, I I love that so you were able to negotiate when support for your book my company and it was a uh, and I think employees they and leaders they missed they missed this opportunity so much that you were able to seize which is there's a big change they obviously want to keep they they want they want to keep you happy if you're a good performer they want to keep you engaged in your work and if you've That's got right. something I mean you know, was it it wasn't not totally disconnected from the mission of the no, company. No, it was related. They were right. proud related of it. to yeah. the careers, people in the company, keep them there, whatnot, keep them engaged. 
and you have something that you can ask for that's within their control, a lot of times we'll give it to you. And uh, I think people miss this. Now, I had a, an interesting journey and I won't go into a lot of it, but I wrote the book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating a Job You Love Without Quitting. It fortunately, ended up doing pretty well. But my first thing I worked for, I was at working for a Fortune 50 company, 100 plus thousand employees. I had written uh, news, helping, I've written, I'd wrote, I'd written about career and leadership for the corporate newsletter. And man, I put this book together and I was so proud of it. I've been blogging and all this. Anyway, so I finally got it in the hands of the number two person to the CEO. He's a well-known person out there. I'm not going to say his name. He's he's great. But he read it and said, he's like, tell Ben, there's a lot in here that we can support. But there's a lot in here that we can't support. So, so they didn't support me. But um, that's okay. You know, he was one of the first people to come on the lead the team show, helped launch the show, and uh, they were they weren't willing to sort of put their seal of approval on it. But um, I think that just having that moment of going for it and trying made me a better marketer of the book and helped me understand how to navigate organizations. And meanwhile. I did sell cases and upon cases of books to other organizations that said, Hey, this is going to help us retain our employees, help to help them create the job they love right where they are. But, um, you were like way ahead of your time and <laughs> well, doing that, you know, because <laughs> like you said, you couldn't self-publish. That wasn't really a thing. So you were really having to put the chips on the table. Well, so, I could have paid the correct. publisher, but I, I didn't you know, it was not a lot of money for the company and it was more money for me. And I honestly also yeah. wanted, I thought it was good for the company. I thought, and they did make, they did make for one CEO did make something of it. You know, it made, it became part of his commitment to CCNY. We were early in the diversity, um, mm. inclusion, uh, reaching out in a, to a wonderful community. CCNY is just a wonderful place. And, um, this program was terrific, and I, they gave me time to participate. That became my added value. Or you know, we were early in the giving employees time to make contributions to the causes that they care about, mm-hmm. and and so it, it's. But but I, I didn't know it was going to do that. I really didn't. I just when I saw it, I just thought, okay, it's going to do that, and yeah. and then I was happy to have it, and I. I, I loved it. I always wanted to write a book. I should tell you, I come from a family. Well, my husband's a writer. I come from writers and so okay. and I come from writers and teachers, not from. So it was assumed you were going to have a book at some point. I, just, <laughs> I wanted to. I did. I wanted to. Maybe that's not good for your career to want things outside of that. Get a simple tool to approximate your cost of turnover in ten seconds or less. Right now, go to benfanning.com slash turnover. Did you know the average cost of turnover is $235,975 per employee per year? If you're like most leaders, you don't know your number. Go to benfanning.com slash turnover right now and download this simple tool to start getting a handle on this catastrophic cost. I want to move on from the book writing. I think we, I mean, you and I could spend a lot of time on that and I hope we do spend some more time on it, but not, not at this moment. I'll make sure we get in 
Well, so this, you know, you talked about at the time the book came out, it helped help retain employees. Help, and I know this is a, this is a focus of you now. This industry that you're in, advertising, has let's just be honest, that's terrible terrible turnover as an industry, and it's worse now with remote working, and it's and it's causing more problems. We're working working with a lot of companies around turnover. We know that you know certain employees leave; it can cost companies two hundred thirty five thousand dollars per employee per year, which mm-hmm. is catastrophic. Is this, is this a cost that companies should be tracking? And uh, what's your advice for leaders in that area? You know, it's really a very hard challenge because even before the current crisis, people would leave and you'd look around and you'd think, well, guess who's leaving? Our best people are leaving because they're the people that can get other jobs. And I always thought the company man or, well, there weren't so many women, but the company man were were the people that just weren't that interesting or that creative. So I <laughs> I did. I thought nice. if you stuck that, you know, because our industry was about that. And so I worried a lot about that. Was I like one of those people who couldn't move on? But but I think what I would say worked for me and I see evidence that companies think like this now mm-hmm. was give people other things to do, right? Mm. If you start with the premise that companies always want you to be happy doing what they need you to do, make sure you give people chances and choices. And 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 I don't know, I had so many great careers. They were building a brand equity tool and they said, Belle, you could do this. And I thought, okay, I'll try it. And then we were doing healthcare. We didn't have a practice. They said, this is a smart practice. You should try to learn this. And I said, I probably am not a good biology student. And they said, no, no, it's marketing. And you know what it was? And it was great. And from a consumer Mm -hmm. insights perspective, healthcare was all about people's real values. So Mm -hmm. I loved it. It was about people's real lives and real values. So I I found that's only been only been like 20 years of my career or 15. But, uh, But I do think companies have to pay attention I, I I think we got squeezed. I think there was a period of time when we we didn't invest in our people. We didn't train. If you do employee service, how many do you have to do to know that people think they're, nobody's managing their careers? And so they leave mm-hmm. and go elsewhere. I will say that the place I stayed had a very good track record for what do they call them, boomerang people who oh, leave yes. and come back. Right. And we did. And that's because I always thought we hired well. We always had people meet a range of people. Right. You meet a lot of people on the team. I'm sure it's now maybe it feels old fashioned when everything is Internet and, you know, and it's you put the right keywords in your resume. But we really did try to make sure people understood who they were going to be working with. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's important. I think giving people the chance I traveled a lot in my career. I did all kinds of things in all kinds of countries and it was mm-hmm. great. And I stayed because every time it sort of got bad, I thought, should I leave or should we just fix this? And somebody in leadership thought, okay, we'll fix it. And they did. So right. I don't know what you have to be to be one of those people that they want to keep exactly. Except I do think you have to have the three lessons from before a yep. willingness to see yep. where, if the company wants something, maybe there's a reason for that. So even if you don't know how to do it, be willing to try. If you're working with a good team. Yeah. If you're the, way it, 
the way I interpreted the first part of what you said there is it's just a, it's a real call to action for, for the listeners today because of this idea of give, like you said, give your people something to do. And that translates in be proactively thinking ahead in the career management of your high performers. It may be hard. Like if you've got a team of 10 people, it's hard to think ahead for 10 people. But man, you probably got two or three. It's kind of the 80 20 rule, right? You've got a team, probably 80% of your results are coming from 20% of your high performers. You got to be thinking proactively what are you going to give them next to do to engage and make it feel like they're growing, they're being a part of the bigger picture, and they're creating something positive for their self inside your company. I just love that idea. Yeah. I mean, I. I don't think there's a magic bullet, but I think there's practices, practical practices that people can do. You know, you can't be too self, uh, you can't be too self-effacing, but you can't be too self-aggrandizing um, either. Somewhere in between, mm-hmm. you have to think about what the company needs and what you need. And truly, and this I've seen over the years, I. I had a lot of needs. I had little kids. I asked to reduce my schedule when my kids were little. I had a lot of things that I did that nobody did, you know, in the 80s. Nobody did. And I think if you know what you want, you can usually have the company help Mm. you. If you're looking for someone to do that for you, then it's much, much harder. It's much, much harder because they might guess. Big point there. Yeah. Big point. And I actually think that's a good one to leave our listeners with here because it sounds so simple, but <laughs> bosses are usually terrible mind readers. And so they can't guess what you're doing. And if you want to give that the responsibility of your career up to your boss, don't be surprised yeah. if you're resentful, frustrated. And I mean, and I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience because this is definitely how I operated early in my career. My boss should know what's best for me. We all they should, did. They should be identifying my strengths and they should be putting me in a position to be successful. Well, right. that is a recipe for like some people just hit the lottery and they just win it, but most people don't. And that's why 87% of employees are disengaged according to Gallup probably. So, you know, it's funny that I, um, the CEO I worked when I first started was in business development and I wanted to go into a certain track of client management. Yep. And he said to me, Bell, I think you should go into the research department. And it wasn't the, the departments have different names today. It doesn't really matter. And I said to him, you think I can't cut it because I don't have an MBA and you're busy hiring all MBAs and this is marketing. And that's why you don't want me to do it. And he looked at me and he said, no, Bell, I just think you're going to like it better. And I said, okay, but I want to try this. And you know what? He was right. And five years later, I switched mm-hmm. and it was a, so the right choice. And I I never had occurred to me that what I know now is that I should have thought about that. Was I going to like it better? Did I want to be like those people or those people? Yeah. I just thought it, it, it. we are not so, he, he was right. He let me do my thing, but I should have listened. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes, yeah, the real key is to, you, you want to be aware and listen to others, the ones that have your best interest at heart, um, and then listen to your inner compass. And sometimes you got to go learn something first before you get there. But, uh, <laughs> Bell, I want to say thank you for coming on. It was a real pleasure having you on today. Thank you. It was fun. 
If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.